Lord, thank you that sometimes things seem to take forever. Man, sometimes we even think about the church and think, man, will things ever change? Will we ever get with it? And we're excited to know that sometimes things do not have to take a long time to change. You can change things very suddenly and your Holy Spirit, when your word gets engaged and involved in our lives. And Lord, we're coming to you this morning and believing for heart change, life change, and hope to be upon your church in Jesus' name. Right on. So the message today I've called the same old enemy, the same old lie. We're just talking about how the enemy of the church it's not the person sitting beside you. <laughs> you know, sometimes you think, oh, I got enemies. People are bugging me. You know, that person, that, that uh, they said this, they did that. And you, you kind of sometimes come to church and you're like, I hope I don't see that person. <laughs> well, the enemy of the church is not the person beside you. It is the devil. And Jesus even pointed that out in the scripture I quoted to you earlier. He said, the gates of hell. You know, he didn't say, oh, it's, you know, it's your spouse or it's that person or anything else. He didn't say any of that. He said, no, it's the devil that's the enemy of the church, and that's who uh, the church has for an enemy. We find hope and truth and strength and direction in the word of God when we come against the enemy. And I want to just encourage you, there's three reasons why we can trust the Bible. Number one, God preserves his word. You think about the Bible, all that has come against the word. Just physically, even in wars, there's been, there's been dictators and rulers who have tried to stamp out the word of God. There's been groups and people who've tried to slander the credibility of the Bible and the character of the Bible. But you know what? God's word has stood through history. And the Bible's claim that it would stand forever is being proved every day. That's one reason why you can believe the Bible, the truth of the Bible, and it's trustworthy. Another reason is it contains the simplicity and the depth of heaven. You know, even a young child can understand the simplicity of the Scripture. My own grandson, he's eight years old, is reading through the Bible. Do you know how many times he's read through? No? Four times. A children's Bible. He's read through four times. Eight years old, he's devouring the word. He's devouring the stories. He's devouring the miracles. He's devouring the testimonies of the goodness of God, of the power of God, of the, of the provision of God, of the healing of God. Isn't that awesome? The simplicity that's in the Bible. But the very depths of the truths that are also in the Bible. We can study the words of the scripture over and over. And God can speak to us over and over. Hey, Quentin and Danielle, are they? In, there they are. Why don't you guys stand up? Because they have some exciting news. I don't know if it's public. Is it public? It is now. So stand on up. They got engaged on Wednesday. Wow. Oh, you guys are going to be blessed. I'll tell you, Danielle, that Quentin, he is a wonderful man. He's going to bless your life. And Quentin, you have got a catch. Don't ever, ever believe anything else. Uh, but Danielle was telling me uh, the other day, she just pointed out a truth in Isaiah 43. We're, we've been studying Isaiah 43. And she pointed out this very thing. And it's just been kind of revolving in my, my head. And I thought... 
this morning when I was in worship, the Lord brought it back to me. You know, sometimes we're looking for deliverance. You know, the children of Israel were delivered through the Red Sea. God opened the Red Sea. They were delivered on dry land. Well, in Isaiah 43, he said, I'm going to do something new. I'm not going to deliver you. You're going to find yourself in the desert, and I'm going to come to you. He said, there's going to be a stream in the desert. Are you in a desert place today? Are you in a desert? Do you feel like there's no hope? Well, I want to tell you, God wants to come to you this morning. He wants to bring hope to you. He wants to bring strength to you. He's going to bring life to you. You might not be delivered out of that situation you're in, but you're going to say, my God is my provider. My God is my power. My God is my, my life and my strength. He's going to be with me. He's going to help me. And I believe that's a word for you. There's a depth of heaven in the scripture. You know, we can read the scripture over and over, and a depth can come. There's another reason we can trust the Bible. Here's a third one. And this isn't even in my message. This is just a warm-up. <laughs> Miracles that authorize God's messenger. Messengers, the people that wrote the scripture. You know, the Bible's a record of eyewitness accounts. People that saw God work. They saw God move. They saw the miracles. They saw the deliverance. They saw the lives changed. They saw Jesus risen from the dead. You know, Thomas put his fingers in Jesus' hands and others saw him doing it. You know, they, people watched it and they wrote it down. Huh? People were there. It wasn't hidden. You know, there was, there was groups and multitudes and, and nations that saw our God at work and marveled at him. And we can know our, the Bible is trustworthy by these truths that were recorded in the public. There's three great reasons why you can know the Bible is trustworthy and true. And the book of Acts, which we're preaching out of in this series of Suddenly, uh, is a trustworthy Bible. If you read in the very first verses of the book of Acts chapter 1, actually, uh, Dr. Luke, who wrote the gospel of Luke, he was a doctor, he wrote the gospel of Luke, and he wrote the book of Acts. He witnessed these accounts. And it says, right in those first verses, he says to the man that he was writing those words to, Oh, great Theophilus, here is the account of what uh, I saw. He mentions his previous book, which was the Gospel of Luke, and he mentions this book, the book of Acts. He was there. He saw it, and he recorded it. Now, in the book of Acts, chapter 2, we read this last week, that uh, the church didn't exist. It was going through difficult times. People were going through difficult times. People were in confusing times. People were in uncertain times. They heard the promises of Jesus, and they were wondering, how could this be? And we read in the book of Acts chapter 2, verse 1, last week, it says, suddenly a noise came from heaven. Say that word, suddenly, suddenly. I just love that. I just love it. I love it when we see that our God is at work. You know, Jesus promised the church was coming. He promised he would build it. He promised he would supply the life and the gifts and the leadership and the transforming power that would bring it to life. And sometimes when things are going good and God is speaking and God is working and lives are being set free and transformed, you know, I have this thought that sometimes comes to me and I say, this is too good to be true. 
you know, something bad is about to happen. You know, somebody's going to stick a stick in the spokes. Huh? Anybody ever think of that? Your life is going good and, you know, God is at work and you feel like, oh, I'm growing and I'm close to him and you're, you're loving him. And sometimes we think that in the church too. And we think, oh, man, this is too good to be true. Well, the church is God's family. It's the container of the Holy Spirit. It's the birthplace of the gifts of the Spirit. It's the, it's the hope bringer to the world. It's the hands and feet of Jesus to the world. Uh, as members of the church, you and I, we've been given a new God identity. We've been given a new God identity. We've been given a, a part to be in the church. You and I are to be the church. Everything uh, is going good sometimes, though, in the church. <laughs> and we can get this thought, oh, no, this seems just a little too good to be true. Well, today I want to talk to you about the same old tactics, the same old enemy, the same old lie that the devil faces, uh, that the church faces with the devil. And his tactics aren't new. They work for him, so he's stuck with them. <laughs> this, is not a, this is not a scary message. This is not a discouraging message. I, I hope this is a life-giving message. It will bring you hope uh, and strength as we be the church. And I want to talk to you about that just for a few minutes. Genesis 3, verse 1. Uh, we're going to go right to 1230, just in case anybody's watching the clock and you're bored and you're wondering, oh, this Pastor Greg, he won't shut up. I, I'm milking it right to the end of, of the hour, okay, of the half hour. Okay, so the Genesis 3 verse 1 says, now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals. Say that word, cunning. He was cunning. That word cunning means he had skill in achieving his own ends by deceit, Right? It means he was wise to get what he wanted for himself, and he was willing to use lies and deceit. Wise in meeting his own selfish and evil desires. The serpent was cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made, and he said to the woman, did God really say, just say that statement, did God really say you can't eat any from any tree in the garden. You know, his tactic, the devil's tactic, is for us to question what God says is true. That's why I wanted to talk to you about the word of God. Why we can trust the word. You know, the God's word is true. God's word is trustworthy. And what God says is true and trustworthy. We can put our, uh, bank our lives on it. And this is what uh, makes the church powerful is that this generation of people that are here, young people and older people, little babies that are in the congregation, uh, retired people, married people, young adults, all the people that are here, what is going to make us powerful is not how we dress, it's not the songs we sing, it's not, you know, what kind of car, if we've got an electric car, all that kind of, all that kind of stuff can be okay. But what's going to make our generation powerful is that we know what God really says. You know why? Because our enemy is going to come and he's going to cause us to question, did God really say? Right? What's going to make you powerful is knowing what God said. 
when our enemy comes and sets his assignment against the church, or he comes and sets his assignment against a generation, or he comes and he sets his assignment against your family, or he comes and he sets his assignment against you, and he says to you, you are a failure. You are guilty. You're condemned. You're unworthy. We can be ready, church. We can be ready for him. And we can say to him, not today, devil. Not today. Not, uh, 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 uh. No way. I'm not falling for your old tactics. They're boring. Yawn, yawn, yawn. You've been doing it from the beginning of the days of this earth. And you're still doing the same thing. Not today. Because I know what my father says. I know what he says. I know what he says in his word. And more than that, I know what he says about me. I know what he says about his church. I know what he says about our generation. Our father says that he has handpicked me. He's chosen me for his purposes. I am forgiven and loved beyond compare. I am worth dying for. I am secured for all eternity. I am free. My father says I'm called. My father says I'm valued and I'm chosen. My father, he says that we were once not a people, but now we are a people. We are the church chosen by God. We are his people. We are not, we were rejected at one time, but now we're a royal priesthood. We're a royal people. We are people that our Father has chosen. My Father says we were discarded, but now we are called to show forth His praises. You know, you're not just supposed to exist. You're not just supposed to eke out a life. You're not just supposed to, you know, if I can just live. I was having this conversation with my mom the other day. It's amazing, she said. People are living till they're 90 and 95. You know, they told, doctors told her she would die by when she was 65, and she's 87 now. And, and uh, she said, she was saying, I, we were talking about someone in specific. And she said, you tell them, don't believe that lie. That's what she said to me. I was just laughing my head off. My mom's just got lots, so much faith. And she was saying, you tell them not to believe that lie. You tell them just to keep going. You tell them just to keep believing. Because we are not called to exist. We're called to show forth the praises of God. Your life is to point to the glory of God, the goodness of God, the provision of God, the healing of God, the greatness of God. The transforming power of God. And the devil, he will always come. (laughs) You can count on it. With the same old, same old. And he will say, Did God really say? (laughs) And we better know when he comes. As foolish and silly as he might sound, we still fall for it. Huh? We still fall for it. And questions come and doubts come. And we start to wonder. And I want to encourage you how we overcome as the church in 2022 is we know what our Father says. That's how we overcome. We know what He says. I want to give you three lies the devil causes. And that was really cool that 
Quentin was actually praying along this line. He was talking about lies and the truth, about being set by the truth. And I thought, I was just smiling to myself because that's my message today. Here's three lies and three truths. Number one, and I, I kind of made these, I don't know, I got all like spiritual when I was in my office. And I read them this morning. I thought, they don't even really make any sense, these points. First one is the lie of our success and maturity. And really what I'm talking about is pride. Arrogance. You know, among the most difficult battles for the church is the victories that we've won. And the life transformation that we experience. Because what happens when we have victory sometimes is we say, oh, look what I did. And we start to feel proud about who we are and what we've done. And really, you know what? It's all about Jesus. It's all about him. It's all about what he can do. And it's all about what he has done. And man, Paul, he points this out over and over in the script, scriptures of, of how much, uh, uh, how, how little he had to offer. And how much Jesus had to offer. And how much the transforming power and work of the gospel made a difference in his life. Our greatest battles are not always failures, but growth and successes. You know, one of the things uh, what can happen in the church uh, is we can become prideful. We can, we can think about our success and, you know, people can come and think, oh, this service, it's all about being entertained and all that and being encouraged. And then we put this, that's why I put these success and maturity there. Uh, we can start saying, Oh, I'm starting to understand the things of God. And and, and we don't say, oh, I'm prideful because now I know I've encountered God or I know know something about God. We say, oh, we're mature. (laughs) We try to make it sound spiritual. We try to make our pride and our arrogance sound sound mature, sound sound humble. And one of the ways we we can test it is we can ask ourselves, am I serving the church or is it the other way around? Is the church serving me? Am I coming uh, on Sunday thinking, you know, what is going to be served to me? I wonder if they're going to, worship team's going to please me or the pastor's going to please me or someone's going to please me today. Or are we coming and saying, how am I going to please the Lord this morning? How am I going to please the church? How am I going to serve and love the church this morning, man, I got. I was uh, basing this uh, message on Acts 15, and I'm not going to be able to go through all those verses. So my, my, just forgive me. Uh, I'm not going to drag you through all those verses because they're so good. The story of uh, of the book of Acts. The second, uh, and how we overcome this lie is the church defeats the devil's lie through servanthood. Mark 9:35 says, "Sitting down." Jesus called his disciples and he said, if anyone wants to be first among you, he must be the servant of all. (laughs) That's a pretty big ask, eh? It's not just one person's servant. You know, he didn't just say, oh, I want you to go serve in the nursery. (laughs) No, 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 no. He didn't say that. He said, I want you to serve in the the, uh, K to 6 class. No, 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 no. He didn't say that. I want you to serve as an usher. No, 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 no. I want you to serve in the tech booth. No, 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 no. He didn't say any of that. He said, I want you to be the servant of all, everyone. That's how we uh, overcome the lie of the enemy. The church defeats the devil's lie through servanthood. John told us 
to love one another. Why? Because love comes from God. God wrote the book on love. He created us to be lovers and servants. The greatest thing we can do is not to get people to follow us. The greatest thing we will ever do is show someone how to follow Jesus. Huh? That's the greatest thing that we can do as a church. Okay, here's the second lie. Number two, the lie of performance or the lie of discouragement. You know, that we're never going to be good enough. We'll never ever add up. And we start to compare ourselves with others. You know, no matter how much work God is doing in our life, we say, oh, yeah, but look at what he did in that person's life. And look what he did in their life. And you start comparing, oh, God, you're, I wished you did more in me. I wish we'd gone further. You know, the church defeats the devil's lie, though, uh, through the Holy Spirit encouragement and leading that leads us to transformation. You know, one of the things that happens in the church is we confuse these two things, knowledge and relationship. Knowledge doesn't transform us. Relationship does, right? Knowledge doesn't transform you. Relationship does. You know, sometimes we get seeking after knowledge and we think, if I just would know more, then I would be different. Well, the Bible actually teaches it the other way around. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, here's what the Apostle Paul one of the greatest Christian leaders who ever lived said, but knowledge, what does it do? It puffs up. Well, love builds up. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? He comes against that lie of performance, that lie of discouragement that says you will never be until you know, until you've got it all sorted out, all straightened out. When you do, when you've got it all sorted out, when you've got it all straightened out, then you will be something. No, the Bible actually tells it the other way around. Knowledge puffs up, love builds up. You know, the church holds up the word of God, which is our guide, and the Holy Spirit, which is our wisdom and strength. And we look to Jesus, who's the author and finisher of our faith. Let's read Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2. It says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Right. There's fixing our eyes. Let's get our eyes fixed on Jesus. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. Are you discouraged? Has the enemy come and say, oh, you're never going to measure up. You'll never compare to that person. You'll never be able to do it like them. You know what I say? Fantastic. That's fantastic because Jesus wants to do something greater in you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Man, we've got a great God. And the third lie uh, that the enemy uses in the church is the lie of needing to be right. Now I'm going to read these verses out of the end of Acts chapter 15, starting at verse 36. He says, sometime later, so this story of Acts 15 uh, is, is uh, some of the leaders of the church were sent to the church in Antioch that we were talking about last week. And they were sent there because people were coming to Jesus. Lots of people were coming to Jesus. And uh, they get, were giving them some instruction. And so while they were doing this, they got there and they gave the instructions. And uh, the church was being established. This is what it says. Sometimes later, Paul and Barnabas 
You know that word uh, named Barnabas? You know what it means? It means encourager, <laughs> strengthener. Isn't that awesome? Wouldn't you love to have an encouraging friend, a strengthening friend? That, we've just been talking about that, that uh, you can be discouraged or you could be encouraged. You know, you could come against the lie of the enemy by using that power of encouraging Encouraging someone, speaking into someone's life, bringing hope to someone's life, bringing life to someone, strength to someone, uh, uh, standing with them in faith in some way. So sometimes later, Paul and Barnabas said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. And Barnabas, he wanted to take John, who is also called Mark. In another story, uh, part of the Bible, we learn that John was a younger guy. He was a ministry multiplier. <laughs> you know, He was a disciple. He was somebody that was learning. He was coming along and learning how to do the ministry. In verse 38, it says, But Paul did not think it wise to take him, because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. The guy had given up. He got, he's like, I need to go home and play Xbox for a while, and I need to eat some of my mom's cooking. I, I'm just getting, I'm just getting plum tuckered out. You got, you old guys, you can do ministry way better and way stronger than me, and I just need a day off. And so he wanted to go home and uh, just have a rest. And they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. <laughs> Imagine, two of the strongest leaders the church could muster up at, in those days. They sent them to encourage the church, and they had an argument. And they parted ways. <laughs> Why? Because one of them, or both of them, believed the lie that they needed to be right. It's a, it's a battle that the church faces. Division is one of the devil's common strategies that he uses against the church. You know why? Because it works. <laughs> That's why he uses it. That's what we were talking about earlier. Now, as Christians, we've... Even at times, and I'm not pointing at anybody because I don't know. I can't think of any stories. Maybe myself. I, in fact, I know the devil has even worked in me and caused, used me in my own words. You know, complaining and, and gossiping. The pastor did that? Well, yeah, I have done that, actually. Forgive me, Lord, for even, even falling into that trap. But as Christians, at times, we wear the badge of needing to be right on our shirts <laughs> with pride. We wear it. That I'm right and you're not right. Right? And we wear this badge. Pride, though, is not a badge of honor. It's a badge of evil. That's what it is. Needing to be right. Having to be right. That, that pride in being right. He's wrong. It's wrong. I'm telling you, as your pastor, that's not right. If our definition of love is full of anger and selfishness and divisiveness, then it's not Jesus' love. Huh? Right? We want to be filled with his love. <laughs> we want to be filled with the love of Jesus, who's who's, uh, you know, Jesus did burn with anger against injustice. 
he burned with anger against, uh, against uh, uh, um, impurity and, and uh, people being um, marginalized and minimum, minimized. He did. He stood up for people. He stood up for women. He stood up for children. He stood up for the truth. He stood up for the word of God. He stood up for worship. He stood up for that. Right? He stood up for it. And our definition, though, of love cannot be full of anger, can't be full of selfishness and divisiveness, because if it is, it's not the love of Jesus. If we feel we have the right to be right at any cost, then I want to say, I've lost my way. Right? I've lost my way, if it's at any cost. The church defeats the lie of the devil through humility. The hope of the church, as we have the church, is in Jesus alone. We put our faith and our trust in him. I want to just end with this scripture, and I'll invite the worship team to come up. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. You know what, what opens the door for acceptance is repentance. Having a humble heart. Having, a, having humility in our hearts. It opens the door for us to be accepted by God. Let's stand and we're going to pray. And uh, let's move forward <laughs> as the church in strength and in victory. And I just want to lead you in a prayer this morning. This is just invite you to close your eyes. Join me in prayer. Lord, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you that you've given us your word of truth. And your word is trustworthy. Thank you, God. Thank you that we find hope in your word. Thank you that we find life in your word. Thank you that we find we find. Uh, um, um, uh, truth in your word. Thank you, God. Thank you that there's light for us. Thank you that there's uh, uh, wisdom for us. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. And thank you, Lord, how your word demolishes the lie of the enemy. When he comes to say to you this week, when he comes to say to the church or to you as an individual, did God really say, I want you to know you can be prepared. By knowing what your father says. Know what your father says. Amen, amen, amen. And as we're closing and you have your eyes closed. Man, we just would love to give you an opportunity to respond to Jesus. People are constantly coming and giving their life to Jesus. Man, we're so excited to see people turning to Jesus and finding hope in him. Finding forgiveness in him. Finding new freedom in their life set free from the power of sin and darkness. Man, we're just so excited. And we would love to give you that opportunity this morning before you go. And I'm just going to offer to lead you in a prayer. And as every head is bowed and eyes closed, just asking you, just slip up your hand and say, Pastor, would you lead me in a prayer? I want to be set free. I want to put my faith in Jesus. Just looking around, just giving you a chance. Just slip it up just between you and me. Yeah, I see your hand there. In the back, that's good. Any others? Yeah, see a hand over here, that's good. 
the balconies and looking up. Yeah, I see a hand up there. That's awesome. Up in this other balcony. That's good. So good. So good. Let's just turn our hearts towards Jesus. You know, the Bible says that Jesus knocks on the door of our hearts. And he's just waiting to come be invited in. And that's what we're doing by saying this prayer. Is we're inviting him. And he's won. He's won the right to come in because he's, he's laid down his life on the cross. He shed his blood. He conquered sin by raising, being raised from the dead and overcoming the devil. And so, Lord, we thank you. We thank you today. Thank you that you have the power to set us free, set me free. Just say that, those words if you're praying this for the time, first time. Thank you that you have the power to set me free from my sin. Thank you, Lord. And I ask you to come into my life. I'm opening the door of my heart. I'm inviting you in, Jesus. I'm asking, would you forgive me, Lord? Would you just wash every filthy stain in my life, every sinful thought, every greedy thought, everything where I've just tried to please myself, God, or I've been deceived and been led astray. Lord, I ask, would you forgive me and make me new? Make me new. You know, the Bible says if we confess Jesus with our mouth, he will be faithful to forgive us. And he'll give us the right to become the children of God. You know, as you confess your love for Jesus, just say that. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Lord. I love you, Jesus. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for setting me free. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I am now your child. Thank you for setting me free. You know when the devil comes to you this week, <laughs> you can just say, you know what, devil? You know what my daddy says? You know what my father says? He says, I'm his child. He's my father, and he's going to protect me and love me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.